Um, well, happy Sabbath, everyone. So good to see you. To see you. See, I, I, I went to, uh, yeah, I, I went to the ophthalmologist, as I do every year. And uh, for the last three years, she's told me that I didn't. So I went back, and uh, I was so sure that I wasn't going to need glasses. And uh, so she sat me on that chair and showed me the different things. And she always has the same question, which one is better, this one or this one? You know that question, right? And I said, this one. And again, this one or this one? This one. So when she was done with the test, I was sure that she was going to tell me, well, you know, you're doing great, you know, see you next year. And she goes, well, I need to tell you that you need glasses now. I was like, oh. But see, I had a choice. I had a, I had a decision. I had an option to, to, to choose from. Uh, either say, well, you know, I'm, I feel okay. I don't need glasses. And walk away without them. Or follow the advice of the expert and gave my glasses. And I tell you, I was skeptical. I wasn't really sure that I needed glasses until my glasses arrived on the mail and I put them on. And I was like, oh, yeah, I need glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And see, life often does that, that uh, there's something that we need, something that will make us better, something that will help us see what we're missing. And it is our choice to follow the advice of the expert or not. So today we'll continue with this series that we've titled Selfless. And um, last week we learned that there's uh, conflict in our hearts and our minds. And it is the conflict between a selfish attitude and a selfless attitude. And what God wants us to experience is that we miss a lot in life when we are selfish because we were made to be, to be selfish. Selfless. And Jesus gave us an example by giving his life on how selfless we can become and be a blessing to somebody else. Today I want to show you, and uh, you know, um, you, you need to help me with a clicker back there. Uh, you remember this man, right? Lance Armstrong. And, you know, Lance Armstrong did great things. I mean, seven times. How many times? Seven times he won the Tour of France. I mean, uh, there's people who, who, who raise that race for, for years and years, and they never win not even a segment of it. He won the whole thing seven times. He also had a, a, a bout with cancer, and he, he beat it. But in 1997, he was part of a, in fact, he was a, the mastermind, the ringleader of a group of uh, Athletes with performance-enhancing chemicals. And we'll remember Lance Armstrong not because of the seven times he won the Tour de France, but because of his cheating. It's another person that I want to show you. Lindsay Lohan. One time she was a promising actress. Very sought after. She was very talented. But then she got in trouble with addictions and, and drugs and alcohol. He had several accidents and DUIs. She was arrested many times until she ended up in jail. And now nobody wants to hire her. All that talent wasted. I want to show you another picture. You remember him, right? Sir Alex Fleming. 
You're like, yeah, no, you still don't know who he is. Let me tell you. Sir Alex Fleming, uh, one time he was in his lab working because he was looking for a miracle, miracle medicine to, that, he, that he could use to cure many diseases. But what happened was that he got frustrated because he couldn't find the, the medicine that he was looking for. So being frustrated with his lack of success, he threw all his experiments away and he left his lab. One petri dish remained on the table. He came back a, a few days later and he discovered that there was some kind of mold that was growing inside the petri dish that had in away all the bacteria that was in that experiment. And that is how Sir Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. I want to show you another picture. No, this is not Colonel Sanders. This is John Harvey Kellogg. John Harvey Kellogg uh, was a doctor, very, very astute and, and very acute uh, mind. And he always tried to, to, to discover many remedies that would help him and help others to experience wellness. In fact, if him and his brother would be alive, alive today, they would be very popular in this new edgy kind of medicine that, that people are looking for nowadays. And what he did was that he tried to discover ways in which people could become vegetarian. So what happened was that one day, as they were uh, experimenting with different kinds of, of grains, they were, him and his brother were toasting corn. And what happened was that he was called into the hospital. His, his, his lab, his food lab, was next to the hospital in Battle Creek. In fact, if you travel north, going to Battle Creek, uh, um, you still see the Kellogg factory on the right, the, the building that used to be the, the hospital on the left, the sanitarium on the, uh, uh, on the left in front and, and on the back on the other side of the street, or on the front, depends which way you're going. Uh, it's the, the tabernacle, the damn tabernacle. And what happens was that he was called into the hospital, and when he went into the hospital and he came back, the grains had been toasted a little more than planned. So what he did is that he, not wanting to waste anything, he said, well, let's, let's smash them. And what happened was that that accident came to the invention of the cornflakes that still you eat today for breakfast. Well, maybe not today, but you have for breakfast. Now, these people are known for the things that they did See, even if you are not a famous athlete or a celebrity, you still will be known by the things that you've done. Now, I have a question for you. What would others say? What would others say that you are always doing? If we would take a look at, uh, at your life and ask the people that you work with, and we will ask them, what does she, what does he do all the time? What would they say? If we were to ask your family members, what would they say? If we were to ask your friends, what would they say? See, we live in a culture that is self-serving. 
We live in a culture that strives to be the best, the best that is self-gratifying and self-promoting. In fact, there is a book that I was just reading, uh, not the whole book, but the title, it caught my attention because it's titled The Art of Self-Promotion, Six Ways to Get Your Work Discovered. There was another article that came out that, that is titled 40 Ways to Self-Promote Yourself Without Being a Jerk. See, if you were to ask teenagers today, what do you want to do when you get older? The majority, according to this report, said that they want to be YouTubers. Some others say that for career, they chose 50% of them to be a celebrity. Everybody today wants to be the GOAT. You know what that means? The GOAT, G-O-A-T. The greatest of all times. The young people got it right away, didn't you? I'm still young. My glasses say so. Uh, see, Jesus said a different story, though. And if you have your notes out or, or you can open your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. Because, see, the disciples had this thing that they wanted to be the goat. They wanted to be the best disciple. They wanted to be the favorite. But Jesus said to his disciples these words in Matthew 23, 11, The greatest among you shall be your servant. So let me ask you again, what are you known by doing? See, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, there's a story of a woman. And, 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 and the verse is like this. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Which translated means Dorcas, which still for us we need a translation, which means gazelle. So probably she was a, a pretty lady. But that is not the reason why she was known. It says, she was full of good works and acts of charity. As we continue to read the text in, in Acts chapter 9, it says that Tabitha was known because she was a seamstress. She, she made garments for poor people. She helped the needy. She made lunches for those who were hungry. But one day, she fell ill. And Peter comes to the house. And when Peter comes to the house, she, he prays over her. And not only gets her better, she had already died. So when Peter prays, Tabitha lives again. Now, everybody there, everybody there is happy, and they begin to praise God because Tabitha was one of those people who they wanted to have alive because of the things that she was doing, because of her attitude, because of her work, because of her selfless acts. Now, you may say today, I don't know how to do things very well. In fact, I don't really have a talent. I don't know how to do many things at church or for anybody else. I'm really shy. I really don't know how to do much. But I want to share a truth with you. And the truth is that what I can offer is important. What you can offer is important. There's always something that we can do to be a blessing to, for somebody else. In fact, there's always something that you can do to practice selflessness. You can bring a lunch. You can offer a ride. You can carry a towel. 
See, King David was known because he was a great hero, right? A war hero. But see, David was also known because he was a shepherd, because he was a musician, because he was a king, because he was a father, because he was a husband, because he was many, many things. In fact, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. In fact, when David walked into the city, marching with his soldiers after battle, the women would sing songs about him. Wouldn't that be cool? Husbands, that you come to your house after the battle at work and your wife opens the door and starts singing songs because you're her hero. Now the question, family, is what is it that made David great? What is the thing that made David great? See, most people think that David was great because of his victories on the battlefield. But see, I think because the Bible tells us that David was great because he carried a basket. David was one of eight male siblings. In fact, he was the youngest. His other brothers, his seven older brothers, were in the battlefield. The Philistines, as it was their MO, had come to, to Palestine and had begun to conquer. And Saul was the king and took his brothers as soldiers in his army. And as they went to the battlefield, they began to fight them. So David's brothers are part of this army. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 17, it's right there in your notes, in verse 17, it says that Jesse, the father of David, called David. He had called David because David was needed, was required to run an errand for his father. And he says, And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Verse 18. Also, take these ten cheeses. There was going to be a lot of grilled cheese there. To the commander of the thousands, see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now, family, I need to tell you something. If you want to win the battle in life, first, you have to carry the basket. You see, we want to be great. But God wants us to be selfless. So in order to be selfless, David needed to take the basket. If David had said, Dad, you know, I'm old enough. I could be a soldier. I, I, I shouldn't be taking this basket over there. I'm not a little kid anymore. In fact, he had already been anointed as the next king. This is not a thing for me, Dad. I'm going to be a king. But you see, if David had said that, he had never showed up at the battlefield and never God had used him to kill Goliath. Because it was right after that event when, 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 when uh, David appeared on the battlefield that he heard Goliath taunting the armies of God and, 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 and mocking God himself. And that is when David became the David that we know and is famous for. Because he chose, first of all, to carry the basket. 
about 553 years about. The event occurred. The prophet Zechariah had said that the king was going to come into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now, this is kind of weird because kings didn't do that. Kings marched into cities riding on their horses, riding on their stretched limo with paparazzis behind them. But the prophet said that the king was going to be coming into the city victoriously riding on a donkey. In Luke chapter 19, we find this story where the disciples were told to go and find a colt of a donkey for Jesus. And this is the moment right before Jesus marched into the city of Jerusalem in that famous event called the triumphant entry. This is at the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. So the disciples were given instructions. You have to go to this place, and there's going to be a donkey. And when you take the donkey, the owner will ask you, what are you doing? And what you're going to tell him as, says right there in verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Try doing that the next time you go to a car dealership. <laughs> so the disciples went and found the donkey. And as they found the donkey, the owner asked, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord needs it. That's not a good business. If you're the owner of the donkey. In fact, we don't even know his name. We don't even know what he did for a living. We don't know anything about this man. We don't even know how many other donkeys he had. Perhaps it was his only donkey. Perhaps he had a thousand donkeys. We don't know. But we do know one thing. We do know the things that he didn't do. He didn't say, hey, guys, don't take my donkey. This is a brand new donkey. Zero miles on it. This is a luxury donkey with a sunroof and high-end hoofs. That's going to cost you extra. Because the air runs unconditionally free. He didn't say that. In fact, the thing that he did is that he offered a ride. Let me share a principle with you. My attitude when I do it is important. My attitude when I do it is important. So on that same week, on the Thursday night, there is a sort of a secret meeting. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And in that meeting, the disciples are having a debate. They're having a conversation. And the conversation went similar to this. John said, guys, I'm the beloved disciple. 
I rest my head on Jesus' chest. And Peter said, John, that lovey, mushy stuff, that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants courageous disciples. See, I was the one that walked on water. And probably John said, yeah, but you sank. And now Bartholomew says, hey, guys, and they go like, who are you? Who remembers Bartholomew? Nobody. So, see, the disciples are trying to say, who is the goat? Who is the best? Because in their hearts, they're not only have selfish hearts, but they also have dirty feet. So now they're at this place, and as they're talking about who is the best, who is the greatest, who is the favorite disciple, Jesus gets up. And in John chapter 13, we find this story. And it says, From supper he, meaning Jesus, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let me remind you that in those days, when people were invited to have dinner at a house, the conditions were a little bit different than the conditions that we have today. In fact, the footwear was a little bit different than what we have today. You see, today when we go to a dinner, when we're invited to a place, we try to dress nightly. In fact, some of us try to take a shower before we go. And uh, we put nice, nice shoes, nice clothes, and we go for the most part, clean to these places. But see, in those days, in those places, life was a little bit different. See, taking a shower was not a thing that everybody did daily. It was a thing that it was a commodity. In fact, some people didn't, went through life not taking showers for weeks because water was a scarce commodity. So what happens is that when people came to a house, the, the dinner tables were not like the dinner tables that we have today. See, they were very low. In fact, they were basically on the ground. So what you didn't want to have next to your, food, to your food was dirty feet. So a servant from the household, especially the lowest one of them all, would be by the door. And when the guests would arrive, this servant was identified because he was the one with the towel around his waist. Because as the guests arrived to the house, the people will Take, remove their sandals, take them to the side, and this servant would wash their feet. So when they would approach the table, when they would approach the dinner place, their feet were clean near the food. Let me remind you that with the dust, the dirt, the mud, if it was raining, and all the stuff that could be picked up along the way because people walked. Something that we don't do here in Southern California anymore. It's amazing because we count our steps. That's how badly we need to walk. We count our steps. Did you reach 1,000 steps yesterday? 10,000? You see? We need to walk more. But anyway. So people walked over there. And when the disciples arrived, well, remember, what was their conversation? What was their argument? Who is the what? The greatest. I'm not washing nobody's feet. So as Jesus is listening to the conversation, he grabs a towel, quietly, puts it around his waist, and goes to the door. 
Now, Peter, he's indignant. No, you shall not wash my feet. Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you are not going to make it to heaven. You are not going to have part of the kingdom. And now Peter gets so crazy and goes, well, then wash the whole thing. The issue here, family, is not about being clean on the outside. It was about being cleansed on the inside. The disciples not only had dirty feet, but they had a selfish heart. And Jesus has stopped what he was doing. He gets up, grabs a towel, and washes their feet. Let me remind your family that this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the living water. This is the Lamb of God. This is the true vine, the bread of life. This is the light of the world, the living stone, the King of glory, the Prince of peace. He's the great high priest, the righteous judge. He's the chosen one. And in case you missed it, this is the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, our Redeemer, the Rock, our Savior, our Lord. But he kneels down to wash the feet of the disciples. He said before that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. So bring a lunch, offer a ride, carry a towel. When we serve others, we serve Jesus. And there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to tell you, you know, Thank you because you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You visited me when I was in jail. And we're going to ask, what? I never did that. And Jesus will say, well, because you did it to the least of these. You did it to me. So family, today we don't wash feet. Today we don't carry baskets into the battlefield. Today we don't offer donkeys for rides, unless you have a petting zoo, but hold a baby, stuff a bulletin, turn on a switch, make people smile, pick up a paper, love a teen, cook a meal, give a shirt, share a meal, offer a ride, carry a towel, because Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. The greatest among you must be a servant. Let the world know us, not for the things that we believe on, but for the things that we do. And that would truly make us, that would truly make us people of the cross.